Rather than giving a gift of cash this Christmas, Friends of Focus can give a smarter gift. You can choose to give a gift of stock that has appreciated over the last year. You get a tax deduction for the fair market value, avoid tax on the appreciation of the stock, and turn that savings into a gift for families. For more information on non-cash giving, visit FocusNonCashGift.com. That's FocusNonCashGift.com. Football, and I'm not talking about soccer, is the most popular sport in America. It can lift us to lofty planes of joy and plunge us into despair so deep that we just might punch a hole in a wall. Not that I would know. (laughs) It was high school, okay? So it's hardly a surprise that football movies tend to be pretty popular too. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, as you might have guessed, today we're going to be talking about the enduring appeal of football movies. And you might even be listening to this podcast in between, say, a bowl game and a football movie yourself. And if that's where you're at today, you have come to the right place. You know, the funny thing about football movies, and there may be more than one funny thing, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, is they all follow a pretty similar underdog script. In fact, there's a new football movie out this week with that word in the title, American Underdog, The Kurt Warner Story. So we're going to talk a little bit about that movie in particular and the football movie genre in a broader sense. And in our second segment, we've got a real treat today. I'm going to be talking with Andrew Irwin, who is one of the directors of American Underdog, and we'll learn a little bit more about that story and how it came to life on the big screen. Well, join me for our conversation today are Kristen Smith, Paul AC, and Emily Clark. Hey, everyone. Hey. Hello. You know, we always have a question to sort of launch us into the topic each week. And the obvious go-to starter question here today is what's your favorite football movie and why go? Okay, The Blind Side and Remember the Titans. I know you only asked for one. I'm taking both. I'm doing two. And I'll put Remember the Titans first because it was like the first one I feel like I remember. Yes, agreed. Okay, but now I'm done. And I'm not telling you what. Like, that I've seen. No, no, no. You don't understand, Adam, because when we were kids, that was the movie. That was the movie when we were kids. Haters. No, I totally agree with you. That's the first football movie I remember watching. We're older. <laughs> All right, older okay, is your I'm turn. Sorry. I'm sorry to laugh. Those That's are right. both That's... excellent choices. So we've now taken two of the best ones off the table. Oh, and sorry. I can see Paul's bitterness rising. I'm, I'm so bitter. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, I'm just say so bitter. Because you never cheat on the icebreaker He question. wasn't ready for this either. Cheat. I just did the work for you. What's your favorite one? We'll just go with Rudy. Oh, Rudy's okay, a great okay. yeah, underdog a story. Yeah. It's the story of a hobbit playing football at Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> I and I mean, it. who doesn't love hobbits playing Poor football? Sean Sean Aston. Poor oh. Sean Aston. All right, it's my turn. Uh, okay, so um, I already basically concurred with Kristen on Remember the Titans, but if you want another one, Radio. Radio. Oh, radio. oh that's a good that's one. That's interesting. Junior. Yeah, that's one I was thinking oh. of when you said. Rudy. I totally yeah. forgot about that one. I know. That's Which a great one. That was another the point, right? Well, that so was another one that movies. came out when I was a kid that, you yeah. know, we watched over and over because my family, <laughs> we would buy VHSs and then that was that was what we watched over and over. Although I think we had a DVD version of that one. <laughs> it's a very sweet movie. It is. It is, yeah. So you guys know the one kind of movie that makes me cry repeatedly, right? No. Any movie set in Iowa 
Oh. I'm just a weepy mess. Yeah, are you serious? I did know this because oh, you told no. us when I watch Field of Dreams podcast. baseball movie, different podcast, uh, I, I'll just ball like a little baby. I'll be like, oh, there's corn. <laughs> oh, I love corn. I'm so it. beautiful. Oh, Which so leads beautiful. me to my choice. I'm actually going somewhere. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with American Underdog because it's the Kurt Warner story. And Kurt Warner was from Iowa and the quarterback at the University of Northern Iowa. And a good portion of the movie, and I'm, we're going to talk about it more later, but a good portion of the movie takes place in Iowa. They get some stuff right. They get some stuff wrong. But they're in the local grocery store, Hy-Vee, which is an Iowa grocery yes. store chain. Yes, it is. And I'm like, oh, they're at Hy-Vee. And I start crying. <laughs> it's just so great. Hy-Vee so is to the Midwest as Piggly Wiggly is to the South. Yes, and I have never been to a Piggly Wiggly because I never lived in the South. I've been to both because I moved around a lot. (laughs) Moved around. We're doing a dance. You can't see us, but but we're dancing. So there you go. Those are all great choices, and I think a great lead-in to our conversation about football movies today. And I think you can see there's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot of enthusiasm. So just like football players start with the basics of blocking and tackling What do you think the core elements of a great football movie are? I think, and this is actually the key point, I think the most important thing in any sports movie, not just football, is that the story has to supersede the game. If their winning the game makes it a good story or not, then it's not a good movie. It's not a good story. I think that the game is secondary. The story of the players, the coaches, the people involved has to supersede that of whether or not they win the football game. And and I think the reason I feel that way is because it's kind of like life. If your entire life is hinging on whether or not the Broncos are going to win or lose this Saturday, sorry, Paul. (laughs) Then you're going to be very disappointed (laughs) with the results. Well, we're that's used to line. disappointment, we're but used that's to another disappointment. podcast for another time. I also grew up in Iowa, so Iowa, Iowa State, that more tears, more holes in the wall. You cry a lot. Tears of a different sort. I do cry a lot. Thank you for that. Gosh. But I totally agree with Emily, actually. I think that when you're talking about a football movie, one of the reasons why they're so popular is because they they form this crucible, in a way, Ooh, crucible. Nice for, word. for a lot of... A lot of drama, you know, mm-hmm. societal drama, personal drama, collective drama. I think about about Twelve Mighty Orph- Orphans, which was just earlier this year, yep. um, and you talk a lot about how these really, really disenfranchised kids became this feel good story, and 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 that's what football really provides is are those feel good stories that allows us to look. Sometimes it's society's problems through a much more concentrated medium. This is hard. You guys, okay. I agree with everything you guys are saying, but I took this question and in my teacher brain, I was like, what's point A, B, C, D, and E? Well, what are they? And we're just like going into like a whole philosophical thing, which is typical that's, of Paul. But... You should know by now that's I know. what we do. Yes, I know. But what did you have for well, points A, B, just, C, and D? I was thinking of the way it's structured, right? So you have this underdog that's always looking for a way out or a way to belong. Then they attempt to do that, right? 
And then they find their groove, they build their relationships, and then there's a tragedy. Right. And then sometimes Sandra Bullock shows up. Sometimes she does. And then they rise from the tragedy, typically. And that's kind of the formula for all these movies. You know what? That's actually really true. Because, like, thinking of Remember the Titans and Radio, which are the two movies I brought up, that's exactly what happens. You have, I can't remember the character's name, but you have the guy who gets in the car wreck and it Mm -hmm. can't play for the rest Mm -hmm. of the season. And the Titans have to overcome that. In Radio, um, you know, his his mom passes away and they have to overcome that. So, yeah, I agree with you. And it's such an interesting dynamic in football, too, because you have these individual tensions, right? But it's all about the team, how the team has to overcome these things. You know, I think that's the reason that people are drawn to football movies. There is a camaraderie in team sports that you outside of the military you really don't yep. find that anywhere yep. and and honestly i brought up the military because i'm a military brat and those movies always make me cry adam mm. so you're not the only weeper <laughs> in here but <laughs> cold-hearted paul never cries <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but but you know outside of the military you're not going to find that kind of group camaraderie because Mm -hmm. it doesn't exist you know especially in our world right now it's such a me first society and you know you got to do whatever you got to do to get where you want to go and it's all about you know elevation of the self yeah and i you know probably some of the things we're saying carry over to basketball movies or baseball movies absolutely yeah but there's something about, I think, the sort of inherent struggle in football movies that, you know, it's a crunch-filled sport, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of like we have these these conflicts that are happening metaphorically, and then we have these scenes on the field where, you know, mm-hmm. guys are getting knocked around. And it there's a mirror there, I think, narratively that... For my money, I find football movies probably more satisfying than any other kinds of sport movies. That's interesting. That's interesting. One of I the just things... thought of it, so thank you. <laughs> so you're brilliant. As we talk about sort of this team framework of, yeah. of the football movie, I'm actually really curious to hear what you have to say about American Underdog because that feels like it's a much oh. more individual story in a way. Well. You know, I know something about Kurt Warner's story, and it does feel like it's a really fantastically compelling thing, but... Yes, and now, now you force me to contradict everything we just said. <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate that. You're a man of paradox, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, the Kurt Warner story, American Underdog, um, is exactly that. It tells Kurt Warner's story. And as I said at the intro, I'm from Iowa, so I knew that he was at the University of Northern Iowa, which you've got the two larger universities and then, you know, and it's not like anybody usually cares that much about Iowa state to begin with, but then you've got you and I, which is just sort of like, Oh yeah, we totally have another school. I forgot (laughs) about that. Right. Um, and so he is kind of a struggling quarterback there, but he has harbored a dream of being a pro football quarterback for his entire life. You don't deserve playing the game coach. Ten more games and my dream is gone. I've been working my whole life for this. Please. You need to start thinking about life after football, son. Respectfully, you are wrong, coach. He gets a shot. The door slams shut hard uh, because he so wants to make the most of it that he gets locked up, right? I mean, here's this guy that... Now he gets a shot in the pros. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but his first shot in the pros... He lasts one day, which is a little bit of a spoiler warning. And uh, they cut him the very first day of practice. And he goes back to Iowa and works at Hy-Vee 
stocking groceries. And it's, with all due respect to Iowa and Hy-Vee, it's pretty depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, his life is going nowhere. And he meets this woman and they fall in love. And as often happens in movies, Uh, and she is a person of faith and we see her faith begin to influence him. But the guy who pioneered arena football was from Iowa. And so one of the first teams was the Iowa barnstormers. And he goes and believes Kurt has what it takes and recruits him. And that becomes a stepping stone to what happens then with the Cinderella story in the NFL. And I won't, I won't say any more about that, but I think um, apart from the team stuff that we have talked about, Mm -hmm. it ticks all the boxes, right? Of the dreamer, the guy who just wants a shot, the guy who gets a shot and utterly fails. And then the guy who has a shot at redemption. And, and I think that redemption theme is one that really weaves through this whole genre. I think that that's one thing about football movies and sports movies in general. They give you a great forum to look at how our failures can lead to our successes. You know, there, there is always sort of this redemptive arc, it seems like, yep. in these sports movies because we know that, that failure is just a part of life. And sometimes in our real lives, we don't necessarily feel that. When we, when we fail, we hurt. Yeah. And we don't necessarily realize that that can build on future successes. But when we see it in a movie, maybe it gives us a little bit of hope that we can. Well, I think another thing that's interesting about this genre is that it really seems to lend itself to Christian movies. And, um, you know, whether we're talking about Woodlawn or Run the Race or Greater and even American Underdog, although technically not a Christian movie, has a deeply... Christian element to it. Why do you think these sorts of stories jibe so well with that faith journey as well? I think the one thing that stands out to me is the need for unity. Like in any sports team, you're not going to accomplish what you need to accomplish if everyone's not on the same page, if not, everyone's not working together to achieve yeah. whatever goal that is. And we see it in Remember the Titans specifically, right? When you're yep. not on the same page, everyone's all over the place. You're really fighting against yourself. And that really makes me think of, you know, in the same way we were talking about that, just unity in the church, right? Like we have one specific goal. We let a lot of things divide us and get us off track, but there really is just one main point. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think another uh, point that tends to come up in these types of movies that's also a Christian theme is how you're supposed to treat people. Mm. You know, in radio, that's like the guy retires rather than give in to the school's demands to treat this uh, mentally disabled man poorly. You know, Mm. he's just like, no, we're supposed to treat people better. Mm. And he points to radio and he says, you know, look at the way that radio has treated all of us in this community. That's how we should all be treating each other. Why are we going to treat him poorly? And the blind side, that's another one where, you Mm -hmm. know, it's... It's a theme that comes up in sports movies often, like how we are supposed to treat those who are less fortunate than us. So I want to ask um, a question that deals with sort of two sides of the same coin. What are the content concerns that sometimes show up in these movies? And then the flip side is, how can we take some of these great themes about character and help our kids really internalize those? So I don't know what it is about football movies, but there is like 
always a locker room scene and it's and it always varies in severity you know to whether or not we're seeing like naked behinds or whether you know get the guys are just whipping each other with the towels like it always varies but there's always at least one and it's like why why is this a thing because i'm sorry in my high school there was no you Nothing happened in the locker it's room. Different you for were girls. in and out as fast as you right. could get in and yeah, out. Yeah, I've heard it's different for girls. I'm not a guy, I, so I can't speak to that. But maybe, I have heard it's different. Maybe, but oh. I, you know, that's the big thing that comes to mind. And then yeah. I feel like these movies always have some level of language yeah, to deal yeah. with. Yeah. And then you're dealing with the violence. I mean, right. yeah, football this, is of a the sport violent itself. sport. And Twelve Mighty Orphans gets pretty graphic, actually. It, it really does. And so you have to be aware that even though we're very used to seeing that violence on Sunday afternoons, Saturday afternoons, <laughs> what we see in the movies can feel pretty jarring for those who are But we're not seeing gory close-ups of what's happening on Saturday and Sunday. That's right. That's absolutely right. And sometimes you see some horrific injuries that are really played out and dramatized in these movies. Well, and sometimes we get the life struggles of where people came from, especially when we're dealing with impoverished characters. Like Woodlawn has a scene where somebody is shot and killed, you Mm -hmm. know, in a poor neighborhood. And it's, you know, an African-American neighborhood. And that's one of the themes of the movies is just these kids trying to get out of really hard places. And in greater, you have a mom who goes into a 30 day treatment program for her addiction. And basically her son, her youngest son is abandoned. And the one that's in college sneaks him into college because he doesn't want his little brother put in foster care. So Mm, they can deal with some really gritty things. Um, But how do we help our kids sort of take those lessons that we might learn a little bit further. I actually think that a lot of the heavy lifting in these sorts of movies is done for you. I chose Remember the Titans because I think I saw it when I was like 10 and it was so poignant. Like I just remember watching it and thinking this was so cool, but I felt the struggle even at that age. Like I felt the teamwork and the camaraderie and how the coaches pushed them. And it's probably just a part of my personality, but I really like these kinds of movies because they teach kids perseverance and they teach kids how to push past even when you don't feel like doing something. And that is like very much my personality. Like, you don't want to do it? I don't care. Suck it up. Like, <laughs> we're going to work through Buttercup. this. Buttercup. Well, I just think that there's a level of maturity and development that you have to learn how to push through things. If not, you're always dependent on somebody else. I would totally agree. I think that these movies really do teach perseverance. And, and as a parent, you can sort of help accentuate those lessons. Um, And I think it's always good for parents to watch these movies with their kids and talk about them. But the movies themselves do such an effective job of showing those lessons in some ways. Mm -hmm. I remember we were talking about me never crying. I remember watching that stupid trailer trailer for Facing the Giants, a Christian football movie. Did you cry? I, I was I was actually so. a, a secular religion reporter, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we were there at a conference, mm-hmm. and they showed the trailer, and I was sitting in the back, thank goodness, and I just saw this minute long trailer, and I was I was choking up, and <laughs> I was trying to suck the tears back into Aww. my eyes. It was really, which is really hard. It was <laughs> really hard, and I thought I'm supposed to be just this jaded reporter, right? But this, totally. this, it this trailer, yeah, it turns out, yeah, it was just a moment. <laughs> it, was, it was a moment, a blip. I think uh, you're, you guys are talking about like the good things in these movies. I think it's also important for parents to focus on the sportsmanship of these movies because. 
win or lose, you're going to have to teach your kid, like, your kid is not going to win every single thing that they attack in life, you know? Like, it could be a sport, it could be auditioning for a role in a musical that they don't get, it could be interviewing for a job where there's 20 other candidates who are equally or better qualified than them, you know? You're not going to win every single thing, and I think that these movies tend to lean towards the good sportsmanship Mm -hmm. and you know just being like even when you lose you do not lose your temper and say oh well they cheated and blame the other you know you don't point the finger you just say hey you win some you lose some and if you win kind of the same thing it's like you can't sit there and be an arrogant jerk you gotta you gotta say look at the other player and say hey you did a really good job this was a challenge and I'm honored to have gone head to head with you you know like So I think that's something that parents should also keep in mind if they're going to watch movies like this, because it applies to life. Well, and I think how how spirited our conversation has been just illustrates how rich this genre is in stories and storytelling that can give us conversation starters with our kids. Uh, Because as we've talked about, our kids are going to face challenges. And I think this can be a way to reinforce those ideas of perseverance, of determination, of faith, of trusting God in the midst of it. And I think as long as we're doing our homework to avoid some stories that might have a little bit more egregious content, this is a genre that more often than not gives us some pretty inspiring and redemptive stories that uh, that we can really enjoy with our families. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion about football movies today. And in just a moment, you're going to hear from Andrew Irwin, and we're going to talk more about where American Underdog came from and and maybe get some insider information that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Well, for our second segment today, I am joined by Andrew Irwin. He's the co-director of the new movie, American Underdog, The Kurt Warner Story, which is in theaters now. Andrew, thanks so much for taking time to join us on the Plugged In Show today. Great to be with you, Adam. I appreciate you guys. Love what you do. Well, thank you. Um, You know, you and your brother and John have been behind a number of really some of the biggest movies, Christian movies of the last few years. And that list includes I Still Believe, I Can Only Imagine, Woodlawn. If we go back a little further, we can toss Mom's Night Out in there and October Baby all the way back in 2014. I reviewed that one low those many years ago. Uh, And you guys also did your recent documentary on CCM, The Jesus Music. So here's my question. Your last several projects have been based on real world stories. How do you decide what kind of story is worth a feature movie treatment? Yeah, I mean, that's always the challenge, Adam. You know, I think we really fell in love with true stories when we did Woodlawn. Okay. And so that was really kind of where we found our voice and like, these are the kind of stories we want to tell. Uh, you know, we look for stories that have redemption at its core. Okay. That whether that's overt or subversive, something that really points to the idea of redemption, kind of, uh, and we love underdog stories. So whether it's Woodlawn or I Can Only Imagine or now American Underdog, it really comes back to that underdog, kind of that little guy that finds their voice or, or you know, person that is in a circumstance stacked against them. And through redemption, they really find their voice. And so uh, God has just given us those stories. We're not smart enough to go out and look for them. You know, <laughs> God just kind of has a way of dropping them in our lap and we fall in love with the next one. So when we were out promoting Woodlawn, uh, I got connected with Bart Miller. We became good friends and 
found out about his story. And then we ended up doing that one. That was our big breakout hit. And when we were in the middle of making, I still believe we were out doing that. Somebody was like, you need to go sit down and meet Brenda Warner. And I was like, I was a cameraman for sports back in the day. And I remember being on the sidelines of the Super Bowl, watching their story play out. Hmm. And so the idea of 20 years later, that story being given to us, you know, we were just pinching ourselves. Wow. Well, what challenges do you face trying to create a faith-oriented or faith-friendly story that can still appeal not only to a Christian audience, but to a wider mainstream audience? Because I feel like you guys get better and better with that, with each movie you make. Thank you. That means a lot. You know, I think we're trying to do that. You know, uh, with a true story, you have to kind of ask yourself, what kind of movie does this want to be? Hmm. And make it authentic and honest for that. But we try to find stories that have Christians at the center of it that allow us to really honor our core audience, which is that faith heartland audience of which I'm a part of that represents Christians in a positive light that points to the values we all aspire to, which is that idea of forgiveness, redemption, hope and love uh, that's really rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we don't shy away from that. But we also look for something that's universally relatable outside the church walls. And so with, I can only imagine, you know, we're able to do that with a father son story. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of what you believed, that was the idea of reconciliation between a father and son. And that's something that is universally relatable. And you saw how God opened doors with that. So with this one, you know, it was just a beautiful sports drama and a story that where faith was very normal within that. So we were able to point to that in a very mainstream way. And I think it's beginning to broaden that audience more and more that doesn't abandon the audience we started with it just brings them into a bigger conversation that allows us to do what we're supposed to do and that's evangelize people outside the church walls well and i i felt like watching it it didn't feel like a christian movie and that's not a put down of christian movies but you know somebody said oh you know this is christian movie about kurt warner i'm like well it's more a movie about kurt warner that has his faith as an element, but it didn't feel yep. like a Christian movie to me. And and it made me wonder how much of that was a deliberate storytelling, you know, strategy on your part. Yeah. You know, on this one, ultimately when we started, we kind of started what we knew, which was to make it more of a traditional Christian film. Um, ultimately we were like, what feels most honest to this story? And a big part of that was trying to understand Kurt and Brenda and how they wanted to present it. Uh, Because it's their story. And we felt like rather than going right at the faith first and going more at the struggle, the family struggle, and it being a great sports movie, we felt like it allowed us to kind of subversively Trojan horse the gospel in (laughs) in a way that the audience didn't have their defenses up. Yeah. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we're called to plant seeds with what we do. And, you know, our desire is to create a tool for the church to come in and start a conversation because that's where real life change takes place. And so for us, this was a subversive Trojan horse of the gospel in a way that is very strategic to get a mainstream audience together on Christmas Day that hopefully creates an opportunity for the church to do what the church does. Yeah. Well, let me talk a little bit about one of the things I noticed here. There are some gritty elements here. And what I mean right. by that is Kurt's not at a place of faith really when the movie starts. And, yeah. you know, we get a few coaches that toss a mild profanity here or there. Yeah. How do you strike the balance between you sort of a realistic depiction of 
the world Kurt Warner was in, but not going too far overboard. Cause I'm sure there may be some Christians who think, man, why'd they yeah. have to have any profanity in there at all? How would you respond yeah. to that? I had a lot of conversations with my family about that, but, uh, but you know, for John and I, there's never any desire to be edgy. Uh, but I also know that my 13 year old son grows up in a, a real world. Right. And Kurt Warner was part of a real world, a sports culture that this is a very mild representation of. So yeah. yes, we cap it firmly in that, that PG family drama category. There's nothing in it that I think is offensive, but it is very much their real life. Right. Their journey was a messy one at times. And so we really embraced that to say, let's make this real in a way that we don't have to apologize for. Yeah. And so I think we try to walk that line, you know, in a way that uh, is still a very much a family drama, but it feels real. Well, at the risk of sounding like a brown noser, I think that you have accomplished <laughs> that here. I Thanks, liked man. the balance that you struck. Um, Andrew, as your movies have gotten bigger, you've had bigger names involved too. You've had Dennis Quaid in a couple movies now, and this time around you've got Anna Paquin and Zachary Levi joining you. What's it like to work with mainstream Hollywood actors in a movie that has a strong faith element? Yeah, that's been an exciting thing because I think for us, we like to have a double bottom line that, yes, we're out there to get stories that we're passionate about out there, but also to influence the influencers along the way. You know, of course, Zachary Le Levi, Shazam himself, we have yeah. a superhero playing a, playing a football superhero. I mean, it's wish list. And Zach is a person of faith. So, you know, the fact that we landed him was just, uh, I keep pinching myself. It took this to a whole nother level. But Anna Paquin, when she came on board, she's an Oscar winner, mm -hmm. one youngest Oscar winner of all time, won it for the piano when she was nine. Yeah. And she read the script and she reached out and said, I love this. I love the story. It really moved me. But she said, I've always done very edgy material like True Blood and different things like that. Yep. And she said, I'm very opinionated about my beliefs and they don't really include faith. <laughs> she said, is that problem for me playing a Christian? Is that a problem? And I said, Anna, absolutely not. Hmm. As long as we can agree with one thing, you're here to try to understand and correctly portray what Brenda's faith meant to her. Yeah. And if you can understand that and we can have a conversation about that, then who wouldn't want to work with an Oscar winner? Yeah. And she said, that's exactly what I want to do. So we put her to the test. She came in and a week out when we were doing pre-production, she said, I've watched every speech that Brenda's given at Women of Faith. I've read every one of their books. I've tried to understand that to her, it seems like it's more of a relationship than a religion. And she's been born again. What does it mean to be born again? And when did that happen? Hmm. And we had these incredible in-depth conversations that I really treasured. And she actually became a dear friend along the way. And it was a really healthy dialogue. Hmm. So I, it's a double bottom line. And Dennis Quaid, I'll work with him until he gets tired of me. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you should because I mean, Dennis Quaid, right? Full stop. Mm -hmm. uh, a bit more big picture as I wrap things up here because we're almost out of time. But what do you hope people take away from the film? And then the second follow on question is why is it important for people to go pretty much as soon as they can in terms of supporting yeah. the film as opposed to waiting? Yeah, it, it's. You know, I think the most attractive things that we can present as Christians is the idea of hope. Mm. You know, people crave hope, but they crave air. And especially right now in a very pessimistic kind of dark time coming out of two years of a lot of pessimism, I think to present something that points to a greater hope that God does have a plan that is, you know, definitely salt to a world that needs something to taste again. Yeah. And so a story like this has hope in droves. 
And that presents an opportunity for a conversation. The opportunity of what gives us that chance to have that message put out there is a business one. And the reason why studios are paying attention is when you have a movie like I Can Only Imagine that is a little $7 million budget and does $90 million in the box office, all of a sudden studios like our studio, Lionsgate, you know, they step up to the plate and like say, we want more of stuff like this. Hmm. Your ticket is your voice and your vote. And it opens up the door for a whole broader audience where the fear missing out kicks in and the general movie public says, what in the world is this football movie everybody's going to see? All right. Well, last question. Can you tell us anything else about what's next for you and John in terms of what, you, uh, what you're doing? Well, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, I'm going to pass out for about two weeks after Christmas and sleep. <laughs> but, you know, the exciting thing is we've been given a partnership with Lionsgate where they are really, because of movies like this, uh, they're giving us the opportunity to do more. Hmm. So my brother is doing a true story that's a, a really cool one. Uh, that he's doing in February called Jesus Revolution about the beginning of the Jesus movement. It's an incredible one. I'm working on a military movie based on uh, a New York Times bestseller that I can't announce yet. And I'm killing myself that I can't, but it's one that I've been working four years to get the rights to this book. And we just got the rights to the story. It's an amazing one. And uh, we have an Oscar nominated writer coming on board to write it. And it's going to be a big mainstream film. Uh, And then we've got two other films that we're producing that'll go into production later next year. So 2022 is going to be a busy year, but we're excited for what God's doing and the opportunity to present not just our films, but other filmmakers we believe in that hopefully can take it further. So stay tuned. All right. Well, we will definitely do that. And Andrew, thanks again for taking some time to talk with our plugged in show audience today. We will look forward to hopefully connecting with you again in the future. And hopefully everybody who's Listening today, we'll go out and buy a ticket and see American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. Appreciate you guys. Well, now it's time for that part of the show we like to call Culture Culture Countdown. Countdown. And I'm joined again by Kristen, Emily, and Paul. You guys, every week we get a chance to bring something interesting to the table. The catch is 30 seconds. 30 seconds to tell us about a story related to pop culture, faith, technology, what the kids are into, that sort of thing. (laughs) And I, thankfully I have a timer to make sure nobody cheats, Paul. I don't know why you're always pointing to me at cheating. Well, it's kind of the both. You always try to slip a word in after the timer. You have a a hard, you have a hard time with the buzzer, but uh, that's why I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think (laughs) about whether you can be good today. Okay. And we're going to have Emily go first. Okay, cool. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so Elon Musk has made a lot of promises to us over the years, his most recent being that he's going to launch 42,000 satellites into orbit in order to provide high-speed internet access worldwide. However, SpaceX isn't doing so hot right now. They are having engine troubles, uh, which would prevent them from launching ships to Mars and the moon. And if they can't get those engine troubles fixed, the company could go bankrupt, which means no satellites, no internet for us. Oh, that was so Ooh, good. Wow. Oh, my. Uh, Paul, did you see what she did there? How that fast was, she got that in? That was really, Filled really with information, good. too. I and feel I was like still that's cut very off. Hard. I've learned something today. I know. <laughs> it was you... filled with information. Miss Tracy, it's your turn. Oh, my goodness. Are you ready? That feels like a really, really high bar. 
You know, she did a great job. It is. I mean, so. not that I'm sitting here judging how everybody does, but you should really but judge. But yes. I am. But I am. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. So, Adam, just the other day, we were talking about how Legos would be a great investment, right? Huge investment because they they you know they grow so fast in terms of their value. Apparently, thieves are learning this, too, because a store in Germany was broken into. They stole dozens upon dozens of Lego boxes. Truly, truly. ABC News does not report whether they actually took the the instruction packets, but they do have a lot of Legos. Way too far. Okay. Legos. Okay, mine's about Legos, too. So weird. I thought you were going to take mine. No, but, you know, now that we have... An advanced yeah. sneak peek at you your do. clip. Yep. Are you ready? I'm really I stressed. Think okay. Paul's just set you up here. Okay. All right. Three, All right. two, one, go. Okay, so the priciest ever Lego set has just come out. It's the Lego Star Wars ATAT or at at, however you decide to pronounce it. It has already sold out in the US for $799. That's a lot of money. And it's it's sold so cool out- though. I guess, but it sold out because it came with a free commemorative Luke Skywalker lightsaber kit. So all the people that got it got that with it. But if you obviously didn't buy it or stole it. Yeah. Don't you have a Lego at at upstairs in your cubicle, Adam? I do. It's sitting on top of my one of my cabinets. And um I mean, this is sort of extending your Surrounded story. Surrounded by garbage. Uh, <laughs> you brought it in like two Surrounded years by gar- ago no, it's not so the for a YouTube yeah. video that we did. Oh, yes. That's great, funny. I did. I did, yes. So I, I do have one. Well, guys, I guess that leaves me. Um, okay. Do you have anything about Lego? Oh, I don't have to. Usually, No, awesome. no. I'm, I'm happy to let you do the honors. So, Okay, Adam, are you ready? I am ready, Kristen. Three, two, one. So you've heard of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC Extended Universe. Have you lain awake at night and wondered, when is Hasbro going to have a universe? (laughs) It's coming, people. There's a new channel called E1 that Hasbro just bought. They have games planned for Risk. There are going to be new Power Rangers shows. There's going to be a Monopoly show. They're basically taking all of these games and they'll be turning them into both scripted and unscripted shows. Didn't they do that? Like, didn't they try to make a bunch of movies out of games? Like, Battleship and Clue. stuff? Yeah. They did. And it mostly failed. It mostly failed. But, you know, okay, that's but the Clue thing with an idea. Clue is a cult classic. True. Okay. Clue is pretty good. And actually, we shouldn't be talking this much after my story, because that's cheating. <laughs> Sorry. So, thank you for continuing the conversation, Paul. That's what you do, even <laughs> after the buzz. Even, you're I gracious. For you, you. You even do it with other people. <laughs> you look so, so sheepish I right hope now. that this week's installment of Culture Countdown has been an enjoyable one for you. And you can find links to all of these stories on the episode notes for today's show. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show today. We want to know what your favorite football movie is and why. And you can let us know on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. We would love to hear from you. And if we do hear from you, we may even include a part of your response on a future show. So don't be shy. Let us know what you think. And we'd love to say thank you, too, for joining us this week. So today, for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Focus on the Family Vice President Dr. Danny Huerta's terrific book, Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the plugged-in blog entry for today's conversation. 
Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Thanks so much for taking some time to join us for this week's show. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. teach your kids digital boundaries. Author Jonathan McKee brings over 20 years of working with teens and how they interact online to his new book, Parenting Generation Screen. In it, you'll see the importance of setting practical screen limits, when's the best age to get your kid a phone, and how to engage in meaningful conversations with your kids about what they experience online. Learn more about Parenting Generation Screen at focusonthefamily.com store. That's focusonthefamily.com store.